Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we are talking all about parts three and four of Ahsoka. And as a reminder, we are recording this during the WGA SAG After Strike. So at the time of recording, it is September 7th, is when we're recording this. I Neither of us know when this will come out, so just so you know, <laughs> we've seen parts one, two, three, and four, and that's it. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of weird recording these in the beyond because yeah, the craziest thing happened on the show. <laughs> that like I know this is probably the episode I'm kind of like the most bummed about. Same to be recording same. in the B- void. Bummed, bummed to be recording in the void. Yeah, the opposite of feeling about it. It's just yeah. I miss the fandom interaction so much. You know, we've we've recorded. Sorry to interrupt, but we've recorded two, maybe three episodes now in the void. A Rebels season three recap, and then so two, and then. Uh, the first two Ahsoka episodes we've recorded. And both of those, even the Ahsoka one feels kind of, I don't want to say timeless because that seems like a lofty word for our podcast, but like <laughs> the the Rebels one is something you can kind of listen to at any time. And even the first two Ahsoka episodes feel like, I think a lot of a people, reaction. yeah. And like, oh, what was their first reaction to the Ahsoka show when it came out? But this one, I just know talking about, you know, particularly episode or part four is just, is going to be wild Sky Talker speculation. And I'm, I'm bummed that when this probably comes out, all the answers will be had. Because <laughs> 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 I just think that's, you know, that's part of the fun. And we love hearing you guys' reactions and like feeding off of our speculation, giving us yours. And this just feels like the perfect episode for that. And yeah, I just, I had to, I had to get the bumness out of the way in the beginning here. I know. I know. Okay. So let's take ourselves out of the valley and go to the peak. Yes. The thank peak. you. <laughs> go to the peak because the world between worlds is back and <laughs> Hayden Christensen is here. And the first thing he said to Ahsoka nope. is hello. I, in so many ways, I just need to get it out of the way. The show I swear <laughs> is like made for Caitlin and I, Every single scene, I'm like, that is something that we have talked about so much. That's something we've talked about so much. That's something we love. That's It's just, I feel directly catered to in a way <laughs> that Star Wars hasn't maybe ever done for me, if I'm being honest. Maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi, but even then, it doesn't feel yeah. as catered to as Ahsoka for me. And I'm living. It feels like watching Ahsoka and watching it in this vo- this void feels so pure also as like only talking about it with you and just like feeding off of each other's theories versus like the greater phantom. And mm-hmm. it just feels like we're very much in our own lane, which is really nice. And I'm I'm enjoying it as much as I'm missing putting this podcast out to the world, which eventually as you're listening to it right now, it will be out in the world. Um, but this particular thing that happened in this episode is like so fandom shattering (laughs) (laughs) and crazy and something that I could only have dreamed up and something we've talked about before and it's just wild it's so crazy I can't believe we're talking about the world between worlds in live action I don't like the idea of Anakin being in the world (laughs) being in the world between worlds I don't even think I've ever 
thought that that was a thing that would happen. You know, I've thought about, right, like Ben Solo in The World Between Worlds, obviously Ahsoka going back into it. But the idea of her having this experience with Anakin in it has just, like, I think I think once the show came out, I kind of thought about it more. But before then, I, it just, it it's just insane. I don't really this is probably what this whole episode is going to sound like for me. I'm just like, oh, what? Wow. <laughs> because and he's I've, there. He's, he's right there. <laughs> I've rewatched this scene. I, okay, you were with your family when you watched this episode and I immediately texted you after I finished and I was like, how the heck did you handle watching this with your family? Because I was by myself. I was screaming. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, this is not happening. The hello sniffs. I, inhuman, the sound that came out of me. (laughs) I can't imagine watching it with my family. Yeah. I can't say the vibes were perfect. (laughs) But I was freaking out. And so was so was my family. Like they yeah. everyone knows how much Hayden Christensen means to me particularly. So it was like it was great. Yeah. But I was really freaking out. And mainly because the entire time I was like, you don't even know. You don't even know where we are. You don't even this is a big deal. You don't even know so really big. Yeah, you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know. I'm like, this is the world between worlds. It's like different than the afterlife. It's it's so different. It's so different. <laughs> it's so different. And the things I was saying, it was just so cringe to be honest and (laughs) I uh yeah so again the vibes were not perfect but it's okay sometimes the vibes aren't perfect I've had perfect vibes before and it's okay and I feel like I missed a lot because the vibes were not perfect but it's okay it's fine it's fine (laughs) the rewatch was also perfect and the reaction I mean I was like on another plane of existence I was in the world between worlds myself oh yeah oh yeah I I like I said I've rewatched it a million times now at this point and I just I can't stop like the biggest smile on my face every single time. I know it's coming. I know. And even when she kind of woke up there, I was like, is this it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It felt like there was a long time from when she fell off the cliff to when we went to that scene at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That I was like, I think it's it's coming. It's, It's happening. And then when it started, to happen when they when the camera panned over, which was reminded me a lot of Ryan Johnson in this way. Mm-hmm. When the camera panned over and things were getting celestial and she was upside down, which also reminded me of Ray in The Rise of Skywalker, which I think I at least I attribute to the world between worlds too, when oh, she yeah. hears all the voices. Mm-hmm. It's sort of similar yeah, in is. a lot of ways of like both of them lying on the ground, the camera above them, Ahsoka's is flipped which I, th- I thought was interesting. Me too. It's, it's quite literally a mirror. Anyway, I think it's we have a lot to talk about <laughs> with regards to that that I'm sure will be semi-meaningless the next time we record our <laughs> podcast, but it's okay. We're going to live in this moment. And yes. I think that it's just like so wild. Uh, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's so perfect. I feel like they really pulled that off and it's this fan's ultimate dream I think yeah I think we've been waiting for the world between worlds to come back now since 2018 and we were big proponents of it coming back in the rise of Skywalker and that was a thing that was going to happen that was a huge part of our speculation so to finally have it back in full force to have 
probably our other favorite pair besides Raylo of Anakin and Ahsoka. Um, need to be clear, not romantic pair, just y- yes. story-wise pair. Yes. Every time we talk about that, I feel like I need to clarify. Say that. No, I, yeah. I, I'm glad you interjected. So just the master and apprentice relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka, I would say is probably our other favorite dynamic in the Star Wars universe um, next to Rey and Kylo. Uh, it, uh, well, it is for me. So <laughs> it's my favorite. I notoriously watch a lot of angsty edits of Anakin and Ahsoka and their, um, you know, master and apprentice relationship. And I send them so many of them to Charlotte. All that, And I rewatch the ones that caused me the most pain. So and now they're back in full force so with new back. clips. Literally, like an hour after the show, <laughs> we are premiered, so back. I was like, Charlotte, uh, the edits that are about to come. <laughs> and sure enough, she starts sending me TikTok edits, and they're so angsty and so sad. It's it's incredible. I'm a and we're just beginning. I, oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, all right. Let's let's try and table some of the world between world stuff for the end of the episode because mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I think that will just completely derail us. And I also think it's kind of important to think about why at this moment in the show, Ahsoka goes to the world between worlds and kind of the things that have transpa- transpired in the past two episodes, specifically in episode four. Um, mm-hmm. I thought episode three was a lot of fun, uh, but episode four definitely is meatier, in my opinion, uh, as far as character development and kind of some things we learn about all of our crew. But episode three was really fun. I think my favorite part, honestly, was Hera's part in episode three. I thought, of course, to me, it was the anxious part. Um, I thought we learned a lot about her and also the senators had good tie-ins to the New Republic um, and the Mandalorian, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. And I just, I really liked her what she was doing in this episode. I also think, of course, that like Ahsoka in the spacesuit. Okay, I say that that's my favorite part, but like the purples were in this episode. So like... <laughs> this episode was so good. This, I don't, episode- I'm surprised that you're like, you started being like, four is meteor. But four I really is- enjoyed three. I had such a fun time. Three, no, uh, three was a very fun time. And like... <laughs> But four is meteor. Come on. Four is yeah, meteor. It, it totally is. It okay. totally is. Yeah, that's objective. I get yeah. it. But I think both of them are 10 out of 10s in my book. I'm not even kidding. They are 10 out of 10s because I'm like, yeah, hair was my favorite part. But then I'm like, Ahsoka in the spacesuit. And like when she's just floating out in space and Sabina's like, I got it. I got it. And Sabina, uh, Ahsoka goes, great. Now get me. I just think that's like, it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just fun. And I think the costume is cute too. It's I so love cute. it. cute. And the purgles. Oh, my God. <sighs> this was this was actually so if you listen to our celebration coverage there was like a tv spot or a teaser trailer that was shown in the lucasfilm panel and then there was a different teaser that was shown in the ahsoka panel and they were very similar but there were some additional clips in the one that was shown in the ahsoka panel and if you listen to our coverage charlotte and i were like we can't talk about it because they're so intermingled i don't want to get confused 
what clips were in which trailer because the one from the Lucasfilm panel was on YouTube and the one from the Ahsoka panel was not. And one of the big things in the Ahsoka one were the shots of the Purgles. There were like additional shots of the Purgles. And I remember freaking out. And the fact that we saw them here in episode three, I was just so excited. (laughs) Purgles are just like so such joy. And you can see it also on Ahsoka and Sabine's face too, Mm -hmm. because it's a link to Ezra. It's memories for Sabine. They're just cool. And I also felt like during the space battle when the ship was, which I guess is called Fulcrum, Fulcrum and the uh, like Shin and the enemy and everyone, it felt like the Purgles, and I could be totally wrong about that, but it felt like the Purgles, they were able to navigate through the Purgles. Ahsoka and Sabine were able to, at, were able mm-hmm. to navigate through the Purgles a lot better than the dark side users, which, yeah. which kind of tracks with how the Purgles acted in Rebels. And they they took a side. So I, I always like that. <laughs> they did. But we should back. We need to back up. Okay. Part three is called Time to Fly. And it's directed by Steph Green. Steph Green has already directed an episode of Ahsoka so far. And also directed some of the best of the Book of Boba Fett. Happy to have her back. I think she's really good at directing action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the training sequence with Sabine and Ahsoka. I really like this. I was surprised how much I liked it because sometimes I don't know if I love the samurai stuff as much as other people. And I think that's okay. But sometimes it feels like a little slow for me. And I know that's like such a modern filmmaker or film watcher thing to say. But I really felt like I liked this iteration of it. And I liked seeing Sabine fight with Hu Yang. I like Hu Yang's Yang's honesty, I think is so funny and (laughs) harsh. And it really came to a head in this in this episode. Um, but I really felt like Ahsoka talking to Sabine and teaching Sabine throughout this entire episode, to be honest, was really good development where we started in one place. And I think that we ended in a much more trusting place. But starting here with Ahsoka giving her the helmet to fight with and things like that, these are things that we're familiar with, but it adds another dimension when we know that Sabine isn't force sensitive. So the stakes are truly higher and I'm way more invested to see if Sabine is ever going to use the force or how much she improves a lot more than I ever have been with Jedi who I automatically or people who are force sensitive, people who I, I automatically think are going to get this super fast, like they're naturally talented and everything like that. And I think that the conversation that happens between Sabine and Ahsoka is really interesting where Sabine asks about talent and Ahsoka says talent is a factor, but training and focus is what determines success. And this really does track with things that George Lucas has said in the past. There's a lot of quotes floating around about it, about how it takes talent and training from using the force, like everyone has the force within them to hone that. And I really like that the show is exploring that. I think that's so cool and really adds to what we know in the sequel trilogy. But also it just feels like we're defining the fact that everyone has the force a little bit more throughout the stories than we have in the past. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting facet of the Ahsoka show. When we talked a little bit about last week and especially thinking, you know, we are in our Rebels rewatch era right now. So we had actually just recently rewatched Trials of the Dark Saber, uh, which Kanan talks a lot about this and training uh, Sabine and the fact that she's not a force user and how that's different from Ezra, et cetera, and and some of the challenges or, or just the way that he's thinking about it. And I think that these episodes, it's 
I like I don't know where I want Sabine to end up when it comes to our traditional use of the force. I think I started the series thinking like I don't want her to use the force the way that Ezra did and kind of toy with that idea of being a Jedi. And I still think that's ultimately where I kind of land. But I really like how they're talking about it throughout these episodes. Like I'm enjoying seeing them talk through these definitions and even Hu Yang and Ahsoka's conversations about what kind of Jedi uh, Sabine could ultimately be. And Ahsoka says she doesn't need her to be a Jedi. She just needs her to be herself. And I don't know. I, I'm really liking following where they're going and the ways that they've kind of had Sabine toying with the Force herself, like with the cup. But then I think more importantly, in episode four, when she's battling Shin and we see her, um, this is probably like my favorite fight that we've had in this series so far is between Shin mm-hmm. and Sabine uh, in this moment here. When Shin finally gets the upper hand, pushes Sabine to the ground and Sabine holds out her hand in the way that we've seen so many force users do in the past. And they've, you know, called a lightsaber to them, push the person into a tree, fill in the blank, whatever. And nothing's happening. And Shin goes, you have no power. And Sabine shoots off a weapon from her gauntlet. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's, it's not a whistling bird, but it that's all I can tell you. It's not yeah. a whistling bird. <laughs> and I just thought that was such a great kind of fake out, but it also shows that Sabine knows where her strengths are and what she can do. And Ahsoka even kind of says this um, early in the training moment where or in episode three during this training sequence about her skills being uh, from her Mandalorian training and heritage and, and stuff like that. And so I don't know. I thought this I loved that moment with Shin at the end where you for like you were kind of saying with a with a force user we would if they've been having trouble with their training we would kind of expect them in this moment of you know distress to finally pull it together and to finally you know use the force i think it's very similar to ray at the end of the force awakens when she calls the lightsaber to her like oh she's finally doing it like in a big way with the force to have that moment with the force theme And for Sabine, it's not like that. Um, But she still gets the upper hand. And I really, really liked that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that when we put the blast shield down and everything, or the shield in general, Mm -hmm. it's a different set of stakes than what we see with Luke. Yeah. We know, and maybe we know through the history of Star Wars, and even when we're watching that first movie, you know, A New Hope, we know that Luke is from a powerful line and he's going to be a Jedi and that means that he's going to be able to accomplish something with the shield down, right? But with Sabine, it's almost more impressive that she's able to keep up with Ahsoka than than Luke Skywalker ever was in this weird way, even though she kind of falters at the end and you know that she has a long way to go and things like that. But it's just different stakes and I appreciate it. Yeah, I do too. I'm really excited to see what's coming next. Sabine continues to be a standout for me in this show and we'll talk about it when we get really more into episode four but her choices uh, at the end of episode four just shook me to my core and I'm so excited to like talk about it (laughs) do you think that Sabine's ever going to use the force I don't know I really I really can't decide I think I think maybe she'll use the force in a in a new way in an unexpected way that's not just a you know 
It's not about moving, lifting rocks kind of way. I think maybe there'll be something different that she ends up doing with it. Yeah, probably. It'll probably have to do with like linking Ezra or linking to Ezra or something. It just feels like that's her story that it would make sense to use it, I guess. But I'm with you. I think we will eventually get her using the force, but I think that I don't think the answer is no. Yeah. But I'm I I also I do think it'll be something different because we're already setting her up for being different in yeah. general. I don't think it'll ever be at, you know, the level of like the way that Ahsoka can use it or like I guess the question then would be like would Sabine ever be able to enter a place like the world between worlds? I don't really think so. I don't think I don't think Star Wars would say that like everyone can be a Jedi in the way that you know, they can leap from ship to ship and like do all these sorts of crazy things with the force. But I do think that there is like a certain level that Sabine can reach. And then in conjunction with her other skills and talents uh, that she is, you know, considered a Jedi or formidable Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm even, there's something tickling the back of my brain right now in the High Republic of like a character in there who wasn't that good at the force but had to work mm-hmm. at it i <sighs> this is also ringing a bell too but i can't i know you yeah you can correct us if you know who we're talking about there's there's someone there who has a monologue or something about having to work extra hard or not feeling the force the same is way it... that oh gosh anyway oh my god i'm saying it just sets like okay. a little bit of precedent i think for what sabine could do in the future Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, okay, let's circle back to you talking about Hera because Hera's big scene with Mon Mothma, we got Mon Mothma here. We got Kaz, Kazuda Ziono's father. (laughs) So Ahsoka just like, this show. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, here are your Star Wars resistance crumbs. And we're like, thank you. Thank you. you. Feed me more. (laughs) Anyway, so Kaz's dad is a huge doofus. I can't handle it. And um, he sort of represents everything that is like stuck up in nature about the New Republic. And um, I, I really like this exchange between Hera and Senator Ziono. Um, I think that he strikes a low low blow about saying Ezra is probably dead and then also says, like, isn't this another attempt to use the New Republic resources to aid what has ultimately been your personal quest to find Ezra Bridger? I like in this moment, this scene establishes that Hera and her personal connection to Ezra are very much known among ranks. And she has clearly tried to find Ezra in the past and is sort of flagged from someone who is the highest up in the New Republic in Mon Mothma, who is now Chancellor, as someone who might use resources for different means than what the New Republic might want her to use them as, which I think is very much in line with the Hera we know from Rebels. And, like, of course she would do this. Uh, She would try anything to find Ezra and clearly already has. Um... And I think that Mon Mothma, from the character that we know from so many years now, if it was just her, I think she'd obviously let Hera do whatever she wanted. But with the full full government by her side and basically underneath her, it's just another example of this 
insane New Republic red tape that we've seen a lot of in The Mandalorian, especially in season three. And I don't know. I think that we're in this show, we're also establishing the fact that it's very tough for like the good guys to stop the bad guys, even with a new government, even after the rebellion won against the empire, they're still rebuilding. And it's very clear in all these different small ways to see how the first order rose in the sequel trilogy. You see it in all these different um, iterations of them not helping different systems. Everyone has to go under the nose. Everyone has to be um, a rebel. Even when the rebellion won, it is kind of insane. Yeah. They're not even trying to fight the enemy. They are so convinced of their victory. Uh, so sedated in their victory, perhaps is a better way to describe it, that they don't even consider that Thrawn could really even be a threat. And all they can see is the emotional side of Hera or perhaps what was even like a, um, what's the right word? Um, like she got written up or something like that. I can't think yeah. of the right word, but like chastised for like wasting New Republic resources on something mm-hmm. that she probably was like, very convincing at the end of the war or during the war, like basically after Ezra disappeared, she was, it was probably very easy for her to get resources to go after Thrawn, to go after Ezra, all of that, because she, you know, leader Phoenix squadron had a great reputation in the rebellion. And then it became clear to a lot of people, or they felt that it was just a pointless, you know, goose chase that meant nothing. And now here she is again, a couple years later, trying to do it again. And they probably see that to her, she doesn't even care about Thrawn. But that's probably what Ziono is thinking. She doesn't even care about Thrawn. It's just about Ezra. And the reality is, is that they're both dead. Uh, and Ziono doesn't really care about Thrawn either. Like, yeah. there's, he's, it's, it's hypothetical. It feels so incredulous. Exactly. Like, they won. Which, How could someone from so, so far away, this, like, obscure threat even topple what they've created and mm-hmm. are sitting on top of. Yeah, exactly. And Hera brings up a good point. She's like, you never you never fought in the war and you certainly never thought, fought against Thrawn. And he absolutely is going to be a rallying point for these Imperial loyalists. I think you brought up a good point, Charlotte, that the past couple of shows that we've had have really done a good job of showcasing just how the First Order came to be. And it wasn't this mass takeover. It was slowly but surely all of these holes in the new Republic and the bureaucratic red tape and the fact that they aren't really doing a good job of, you know, getting people to the new Republic side or vetting people to see if they're actually loyal to the new Republic or just say they are in practice. Like they don't really even seem that concerned with what Hera tells them about the people uh, that were loyal to the empire on Corellia and to Morgan Elspeth. They're like, no, they're, you know, they they signed a, 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 an agreement. <laughs> and Hera's like, okay, and? <laughs> <laughs> I do just want to say, too, that if you've never watched Resistance, uh, Kazuda Ziono, who is the main character of Resistance and is Senator Ziono's son, Ziono's son is nothing like the senator. <laughs> he is the complete opposite of the senator. And... 
Uh, we both love Resistance. Kaz is an incredible character. He was my favorite character in Resistance. So it's definitely mm-hmm. worth a watch. It's a lot of fun. It, it's animated. It's aimed at a younger audience, but it is a ton of fun. And yeah, it's all about the, the Resistance. <laughs> so anyway, that's my little pitch for you to try out uh, the show Resistance if you haven't seen it yet. I also, yeah, just we kind of touched on this too, but Hera and her emotional attachment to Ezra is such, like, I'm so glad that it's a part of the show. I think I could have very easily seen a world where Hera has, like, compartmentalized all of that that happened and and really herself bought into the notion that Kaz, uh, Kaz, that Ezra is dead and that it might have been hard for her to believe Ahsoka or Sabine saying that there was a possibility to find him. So kind of seeing all these different things, like in that very first episode, I think I talked about, you know, one of my favorite scenes was Ahsoka meeting Hera for the first time in the show and telling her about the map. And Hera's first reaction is, oh, like, what does this mean about Ezra, right? That's her first response. And to see it here as well, when she, you know, has that outburst when Siona says that Ezra is probably dead and she's like, you don't know that. Uh, you can just tell that this is still very raw for her. And I really like that. And that is reflected in Sabine as well throughout the series so far. And yeah, I just, it makes me sad to think about Hera like out on her own looking for Ezra and not finding anything. So that makes me sad. <laughs> me too. Um, but let's talk about Jason as well. Jason. Ja- Jason. I cannot get over <laughs> Jason Sindula in this He's series. He's so cute. It just literally baffles me that he's walking and talking and doing things and like has a role. <laughs> I'm shook that he was in episode four. Right? I did not expect him to come up again. But no, he's on this whole journey with his mom. It is so crazy that I think you wrote this in the notes but he's he's the love child between (laughs) Hera and Kanan and here he is green hair which was probably (laughs) definitely dyed by Aunt Sabine which I love oh like head cannon okay yeah yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) that's that's my thought okay okay because it doesn't it it doesn't make sense it only makes sense if she dyed it okay isn't it Hera's green skin that is like just in his hair sure does that make sense to you if that makes sense to you why not (laughs) (laughs) what makes more sense her him mentioning aunt sabine and aunt sabine potentially dying his hair both make sense his mother is green (laughs) yeah i know but we've seen like cross species before and it's not really like this okay well so i'm not expert (laughs) We're not and how the chromosomes divide it's quite quite literally fake (laughs) and it doesn't matter. But I think that the it what does matter is the fact that Jason calls Sabine Aunt Sabine and I just love it. Yeah. I I can't also did you notice in the ghost like her seat Sabine's seat is still painted? Yes. I looked for that when I was rewatching it. And then in episode four, Mm -hmm. I did not catch this, but the internet caught it. Don't worry. There's a photo on the dash of Kanan. I can't. And it it looks like it's sort of a shot from a red carpet with Freddie Prince Jr., <laughs> which I kind of love. <laughs> I love it so much because he does look, Freddie Prince Jr. does look like Kanan. Yeah, exactly. 
And I just, the concept, just the fact that we're here, everything about the connections to Rebels for me is like so delicious. And the fact that there wasn't even a, we're just going to skip over the fact that Hera and Kanan had a child. Yeah. There's no skipping. He's here. Yeah. <laughs> he is part of the story. And it's, he's so cute. And I can't believe he wants to be a Jedi. What are your thoughts about that? I Well, number one, I totally thought that when Mon Mothma mentioned him, I was like, oh, wow, they like mentioned him. And I was like, okay, that, I feel like that's going to be it for Jason. But then no, we got to see. And then you were like, oh, no, that, that's a story reason in order to pepper the audience into the fact that we are establishing that Hera is a mom. And if you didn't know that, here's the son. Here, here he is. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I continued to be shook. But... Yeah, the Jason sad, not even sad because he's just like a happy little kid right now. And he was like, I want to be a Jedi too. And it really made me reconsider uh, Hera's plea to Ahsoka about uh, training Sabine because I'm like, oh, does she eventually want Ahsoka or Sabine to train Jason? Or does she want, like if Ezra comes back, would she want him to train Jason, like there are all these kind of crazy thoughts. And then you, it, it does just kind of put another uh, layer onto this time period and what is happening with four sensitive children in this time period. I mean, we don't even know if Jason has shown the ability to use the force in the way that Kanan did, right? Um, we don't know that yet. Uh, and we don't know if Hera feels like she has to hide that because of the galaxy right now or if she is just not. She doesn't know how to start. And so if Ahsoka's not there, Ezra's not there, like she doesn't know any other Jedi. I don't think she does anyway. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. And then you kind of start to make it like a little more twisty of, okay, if she's in the Rebellion, she probably knows Luke. People, knows Luke. Yeah, well, she does. Yeah. She does. It's it's canon. She does. Yeah. People know Luke is a Jedi. Okay. Uh, so what's going on? Ahsoka knows Luke's starting a temple. But does Hera know that? Like, it has not happened think yet. I Hera think so. will ever want to let Jason out of her sight, and given with that. what happened with Ezra. And if we consider Ezra to be Hera's, like, son, essentially, mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense story wise for her to feel like she would pass over jason to someone else it's just especially someone who's like a distant mm -hmm. friend yeah. as luke skywalker it just doesn't make sense but what does make sense is sabine that makes sense to me yeah that um, would be the person ezra makes sense him. too if we could get ezra back we're get we're getting him freaking back okay he's coming back <laughs> i do in, in some form he's coming well, back okay Okay. Okay. I was just going to table that. Um, so, <laughs> I, speaking of Jedi in this time period, I do want to kind of jump ahead a little bit to Balon and Ahsoka's conversation at the end of episode four, just for this point, um, you know, talking about like Hera knowing who Luke is and like the Jedi temple and everything like that. Um, so the fact that Anakin knows or that Balon knows who Anakin is and that he became Darth Vader leads me to believe that the events of Bloodline have happened and so it's come out that vader was anakin was luke and leia's father all of that so is that perhaps also coloring and maybe it hasn't i can't really it's been a minute since i've read that book and maybe balon knows all this for another reason but that was something that i was thinking about too of 
you know, maybe Hera is a little distrustful of Luke and Leia or Luke as a potential master for Jason. You know, I just, there's a lot going on in this time period and it's easy for me personally to lose track of it. So I just wanted to share some of the, the things I was thinking about when, you know, thinking of Jason as a, as a Jedi. Yeah, totally. Let's talk a little bit about the space fight. I thought it was so, so well directed. I think I already mentioned that. And the spacesuit really was the whole thing was so Clone Wars to me. Mm-hmm. And I felt so nostalgic about the entire thing. I love the humor. I like seeing Rosario's Ahsoka to, as like more animated. Be a I little guess. lighter. Yeah. Be a little lighter. Yes. And I think that I I've talked about this already. I feel like I want the show to center Ahsoka a little bit more than it is because I I just feel like the show is operating on a mystery box situation. And I've seen some people talk about this. I definitely did not invent that term. I don't even know if J.J. Abrams invented that term, to be honest. But it feels like we are unpacking a lot of things. But I still don't feel fully connected to Ahsoka and like her motivations in the same way that I do with other characters. And I think that's a little bit of an issue when the show is titled her, but I already have all this like baggage and attachment to Ahsoka. So I'm like going to like anything she does and find everything she does interesting. And maybe the show is operating off that for these first two episodes, because by the time we get to episode four and the very end of it, it's very clear to me that we're going to be diving into Ahsoka's past and like her wants and desires and things like that, because that's, that's what happens in the world between worlds. And that's what happened to Ezra in the world between worlds. It just feels like that we're getting to that point. But for these past four episodes, I haven't necessarily felt like this Ahsoka has fully shown me why everyone likes Ahsoka, even though I'm one of these people who loves Ahsoka. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I know I've talked about this already before. No, I think it makes total sense. In this action scene, I felt like I saw the Ahsoka I know and love. And I really liked that. Like I said, it made me feel sort of nostalgic. And I love the little spacesuit. So cute and so <laughs> weird. I love the specific fittings around the headtails. I was like, really surprised. So- They're like, we just can't put her in a giant helmet. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I'm sure they drew it and they were like this is ridiculous we can't do this <laughs> and Dave was like no we're not doing that <laughs> and now we've, we we've seen her in big, see- in big helmets and big hoods and stuff but it's a little different yeah. I, I know like in animation they could probably like shrink her head tails underneath the helmet <laughs> exactly exactly and the big hood is a different vibe than the big helmet yeah and I feel like the uh I'm just like excited to see this costume on people even when Ahsoka had the hood off and then was sitting in the pilot seat with just the blue outfit, I was like, the blue, this looks good. I like it this. Does, yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I'm, I was into the costume, and so I can't wait to see that in real life. Um, yeah, I, I think we've talked a little bit, maybe too much about the action in this episode, and I think unless you had anything else to add, we should probably move on to talking about part four. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to add is just a little note that I really enjoy that Hu Yang notes that the Jedi archives speak of the hyperspace paths between galaxies and how the Purgles use them, which they he also calls them star whales, which I think is so much cooler than space whales, which is what I think the <laughs> fandom usually refers to them as. And they were like, no, guys, they're star whales. <laughs> It's not Space Wars. Yeah. It's Star Wars. No. So. <laughs> literally. Literally. Oh, my God. You're so right. <laughs> yeah. but I, that was the conversation that literally was the when Dave was writing it. Yeah. No, you're yeah. 100% right. Yeah. I just I love this 
thing that Hugh, Hugh Yang is like, oh, yeah, they were in the Jedi archives. It's like when in doubt, just shove it into the Jedi archives and have a line about it. And suddenly you're golden. Like the Jedi archives are a bottomless pit of mythology and lore. And you could put anything in there that you want kind of to serve a story, honestly. <laughs> and I, It's funny that you say that because I think you're operating off the concept that a neighboring galaxy is like so crazy. I think it Star is Wars. in Star Wars. I think it is. I, I don't think, think it's is. that crazy. I don't think it's that crazy. I never thought it was that crazy. The movies yeah. always open with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. What's the next galaxy? We've if you watch any never space, talked about a neighboring galaxy. Sci-fi, it's always bopping between galaxies. It just feels like, I don't know, we were running out of planets to go to. <laughs> that makes sense. It's time to move on. We've got reaches of the outer rim. We've got planets that get deleted willy-nilly all the time in Star also, Wars. Also, I'm pretty sure in the High Republic, they've talked about other galaxies. And... I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. in old EU that I've definitely read in my days of old. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they go to another place. Yeah. I, and I'm sure the EU is chock full of a lot of things and I'm sure it's in there. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I think that the neighboring galaxy is like a new thing and it's never really been mentioned in canon Star Wars that I on screen Star Wars especially okay I I will agree with you there it is crazy Uh, like I'm not saying that it's not crazy so I think they do use the Jedi crazy for me it's not too crazy for me either I just think it's funny that it's like oh it hasn't been mentioned yet let's put it in the Jedi archives like who knows what is in there um and so I do think it's funny they kind of slip this in when we like every once in a while something new is added to the Jedi archives so true. All right, let's move on to episode four. All right, part four, Fallen Jedi, directed by Peter Ramsey. So excited about this episode. Holy crap. Let's start right here with Ahsoka saying that if they can't make the journey to find <sighs> Ezra, no one should. <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, this, bad thoughts. Bad th- I was I was yelling at my TV. No, Ahsoka. No. Don't don't even suggest that. <laughs> I <laughs> I really I I get where Ahsoka is coming from. And I think this goes back to your conversation about who like this Ahsoka is not the Ahsoka of, you know, when she was 16 years old in the Clone Wars, which obviously makes a lot of sense. But it's fine. It it, it is like she has this stoicism to her that really appears in season seven of the Clone Wars and is who we've seen, I think, from season seven of the Clone Wars onward. So it makes sense that she is still this person. But her uh, perspective here is for the greater good of the galaxy, right? That we can't, there shouldn't be any risk of Thrawn ever coming back. Like we need to abandon Thrawn, even if it means abandoning Ezra. And of course, Sabine, this is a really hard pill to swallow for Sabine and me as well. And I, (laughs) I just, I, I don't like this from Ahsoka. I understand it. I get it from her character, but I, our Rebels rewatch has just made me such a pro Ezra person that honestly, he's like my priority. I'm with Sabine. I'm like, yeah, give Balin the the little map ball. Give it to him. We've got to go. We've got to go find Ezra. And I, it's not wrong, right, for Ahsoka to have this perspective and right, like the to sacrifice one for the many, like that whole kind of argument. That's not wrong per se, but it still hurts to hear it because we all obviously care about Ezra. And I think Sabi- uh, Ahsoka does too, but it's not like Hera and and Sabine. And we've definitely seen that throughout these episodes. And 
have talked a little bit. I don't think we actually talked about it that much when we did episodes one and two. But what Ahsoka's motivation here is, is it really about Ezra or is it just about Thrawn? It kind of feels like at this point that she has kind of baited Hera and Sabine a little bit. And that's maybe almost too cruel of a word to use. But Ahsoka's number one is Thrawn in this. I think it has been from the beginning. I think it has been from when we saw her in uh, The Mandalorian. It's about Thrawn. It's about preventing another war because she's been through it all, right? And so have Hera and Sabine. But for them, you know, they have a different relationship with Ezra than Ahsoka does. And I would say that he's their priority over Thrawn. And that comes to clash a little bit in this episode between Ahsoka and Sabine. And I thought it was a great kind of emotional turmoil for Sabine. And to see Ahsoka ask that of her, that's a lot. And this whole concept of trust between master and apprentice, I think we're going to see that come up in the next couple of episodes, especially since we're revisiting Anakin and Ahsoka as a master and apprentice and that Sabine left and left with Balin and Chin to go get Ezra and potentially bring Thrawn back. You know, it's just, it's a lot. And I really loved that they kind of made Ahsoka say it out loud, right? Like we will have to abandon Ezra because that is such a hard thing to hear a character that we all love so much say, but that's her headspace right now. And uh, yeah, Sabine is the apprentice. She's the one making the emotional decisions here. And I don't think Ahsoka has made an emotional decision in a really long time. I think we see a little bit of that at the end when she attacks Shin kind of a little, I would call it like dark side Ahsoka a little bit when she attacks Shin after she thinks Sabine has been killed. Um, That's like the most emotional we've really seen Ahsoka in a long time, I would say. Uh, Really probably since Twilight of the Apprentice, honestly. So I think all of this makes sense for her to say that. I'm glad that they had Ahsoka kind of come out and talk about how she's prioritizing Thrawn and to see how Sabine reacts to that, I think was a great moment. I love this from a story perspective. Mm -hmm, I think it ultimately made the entire episode so much more interesting to me because Mm -hmm. the moment she said that, you know, it was like Chekhov's gun. Like, you know, she's not, Sabine is going to go with Balin and Shin. Like, you just know it. Yeah. That there's going to be some sort of separation. Even with Hu Yang saying, like, it's better if you guys stick together. And the moment they go separate, like, hello, we know what's going to happen. It's just, um, it's interesting that I enjoyed that predictability, but I thought that it made everything more complicated. And I also still firmly believe that we're going to find out more of why Ahsoka feels so strongly about stopping Thrawn's return. And I think it has to do, I think it's bigger than simply just a war. I really do. Mm -hmm. I think it has to be more personal than that. And I need to know why. Because I think that it's, to me, it's ultimately not that interesting if it's not personal. If it's Ahsoka, it could very well be Ahsoka saying what you were basically saying, which was Ahsoka doesn't want to see another war. She's already lived through two and they destroyed her or something, whatever. I would like her to say that and break down honestly, about that than if it was about just Thrawn and Thrawn as a person. I want it to be feel more personal. And maybe we're about to get that with the world between worlds and seeing Anakin and seeing that whole situation. I think that I, I really believe that we're about to see a lot of personal struggle from Ahsoka. And I'm it's it's annoying to be like, I'm looking forward to that, but I am <laughs> looking forward to that. <laughs> um 
development with her. What is it? Star Wars is tragedy? Is that the saying? I think that's the saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to your point about it being something personal, what has been personal for Sabine or for Ahsoka in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 20 years since Revenge of the Sith? Um, I think that's kind of what we've, we've tried to kind of talk about and around with her character and this stoicism with her is that after what happens, she, you know, order 66, I would imagine that she shuts off a lot emotionally. So what has been personal? I think something with Sabine was personal at one point. And then that got... We learned that in this episode too. So juicy, meaty. The juiciest. It's meatier. It's It's juicy and meaty. (laughs) (laughs) When, um, let me, let me pull up the the quote because I wrote it down. So Balin, when he's kind of tempting Sabine, which I'll, which I'll say I was on the edge of my seat in this whole scene between Sabine and Balin. I thought so tense. I thought it was great acting. Really good. And pacing. I could have seen like Sabine again, like with a master and apprentice, there is a world where the apprentice like makes the right choice that the master has been trying to drill into them over and over and over again. But I think, and right, part of the Jedi tenants is like, let go, don't have attachment. Like you shouldn't be attached to Ezra. But I think that if this show is kind of thinking about redefining a Jedi, what it means to be a force user, what it means to be a selfless versus a selfish person, that there is something to be said for making the emotional decision and going after Ezra, especially knowing their connection uh, through Rebels or even just through the show of you can clearly see that that is pretty much all Sabine is thinking about. And seeing the Purgles in the last episode was such like a, like I think that's the first time we've seen her smile really, like genuinely in the show of like, like the last time I saw the Purgles was with Ezra and that that is like a sign for her, I think. And that just kind of propels her to this decision at the end of the episode too, uh, to go with Balin. But uh, Balin says, your family died on Mandalore because your master didn't trust you. And that is such a juicy statement. (laughs) And there's a lot there that we do not know yet. So if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Rebels yet, that is not something that has been explored in Rebels. So Yeah, that's brand new. Brand uh, new. Brand spanking new. (laughs) But what's not new is that we actually know Sabine's family and the fact that there was such a strained relationship that... They, she built it so she she built that back up so well, and that was over the course of many episodes that it is utterly devastating that they died. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm sure this happened during the Night of a Thousand Tears, and they're going to connect it more with the Mandalorian yeah. and things that we've learned with that. And I think they should. I think that's actually really smart to do. But I like this added element of the fact that Ahsoka didn't trust her. Whether or not that's true, I'm not so sure. I but I think it kind of is because if we think I probably of, is. I think if we think about the other things that Balin said about this, I imagine. So when he's fighting Ahsoka for the map, he says, your legacy like your master's is one of death and destruction. And that is not... When, when has that ever been Ahsoka's legacy when has that ever been a result of her actions Mm -hmm. i can think of one time in the clone wars when she's really young and remember it's that great episode where she pushes her battalion even though anakin keeps telling her that you know she's in too deep and a bunch of them die and what is it anakin says like the sweetest thing he's like take heart little one that's the reality of war and she's like (laughs) 
literally that's that's the quote that's verbatim that's in my head um she's still it's like still her tube top era okay so she's she's why am i like tearing up right because now she's been like emotionally raw (laughs) (laughs) that happens but now he's back to talk to her about war and to take heart in in the world between worlds but um yeah so balin says you know, your legacy, like your masters is one of death and destruction. I have to imagine that this is linked to whatever happened with Sabine's family on Mandalore. And then, uh, after that, when she gives Balin the map, when Sabine does, Shin force chokes her when she wakes up and Balin says, Shin release her. I gave her my word. And unlike her former master, I keep mine. Ahsoka broke a promise somewhere that I think caused a big the big rift between like why they mm-hmm. ended up going their separate ways and it, I feel like it mm-hmm. has to do with Mandalore and Sabine's family and what Ahsoka and Sabine did or didn't do there together yeah so very very juicy see and I think that just to go back about my comment about like the show operates on a mystery box this is brand new yeah. information and we've only gotten like this barely scratched the surface of it it's super juicy but I need to know more about it yeah. and I hope in that is covered in the next two episodes, I think would be good if that was covered and explored a little bit more so that we can understand the rift between them and how, I don't know, how Sabine came to make that decision. I think that we understand that she wants to chase Ezra. She, Balin spells it out that he, she feels like he's the only family he has left, which I think is an interesting comment given the fact that Hera exists, but I also get it. And I think that, I don't know. I think that this show might be one of those shows that when you when we get the full piece, all eight episodes, and we go back and watch it all at once, it might have a different sheen to it. And we might be able to see different intonations and different things that like choices that were made that make more sense in light of other information. Yeah, exactly. I, I think so too. I just I'd also just like to say too about Sabine's choice to go with Balin. This absolutely feels like a choice Anakin would have made. Absolutely. But not Ahsoka. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting dichotomy when we think about them in a Jedi family tree, right? Because Obi-Wan wouldn't make a decision like that either. But Anakin would. But then Ahsoka mm-hmm. wouldn't. But then Sabine would, right? That's kind of like <laughs> traits passing through every other generation and the type of masters that these apprentices end up having. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. What's crazy is that, you know, when when Ahsoka was, you know, Anakin's Padawan during the Clone Wars, they were very similar. The way that they approached situations, Ahsoka was always a bit more like she has that Obi-Wan in her to a certain extent. But she was always ready to bend the rules with Anakin to push things a little further to do the kind of unhinged mission approach with Anakin. But it feels like in her older years, she definitely has kind of become more like Obi-Wan in that kind of very no attachment Jedi tenant way. Even as much as we hear her kind of there's a comment earlier in one of the episodes, I think in episode three, where she kind of uh takes a dig at the Jedi Order and how they failed, uh, which, you know, makes sense. She was utterly betrayed by the Jedi Order, but she still follows a lot of their tenets, I think. It's just, it's an interesting way to think about her character and how she has changed over the years. Probably, I would say now at this point, one of the more drastic character changes from like who we see in, in, in season two and three of the Clone Wars to who she is now. Um, 
and and granted, right? She was fifteen, sixteen in the Clone Wars. Like, I don't, I don't want to be entirely you can't the judge same. someone's <laughs> entire personality. Yeah, you can't. Who they were at fifteen. <laughs> no, you can't. But the fact that like her nickname was Snips, and I think that mm-hmm. that is a facet of her personality that should be maintained. To, not should be, but you would expect to be maintained. Like an, if a person had a normal upbringing, I guess, like that kind of sarcastic, that snippy side of her, yes. that would be something that would have stayed with her throughout her whole life, I think. But everything she's gone through, uh, you know, in the past 20 years has kind of, she's, it's kind of, she's kind of forced a lot of that down, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, the conversation that Ahsoka and Sabine have, sometimes we have to do what's right regardless of our personal feelings. And Sabine saying, you really believe that. And Ahsoka saying, when the stakes are high, I have to. It's very clear. That was, that's not how it was. That's not who Ahsoka was during the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. She would do what's right because of her personal feelings, not regardless of. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot that has changed and the point of all of this conversation and what we're kind of talking around is that I think Ahsoka's in a low place yeah. and has seen a lot of things and it's okay for her to be different but I also want her to find some happiness and stability because I don't think that she uh-huh. has had that yeah we've we, uh, we've already talked about this but yeah. she doesn't have a home I really want to talk a little bit more about Ahsoka and um, the fact that this duel, which I thought was such, there were so such good lightsaber fights in this episode. Oh my god! Yeah, we're really back with the lightsaber fights. It feels really good. They're back, baby. The, yeah, the lightsabers feel like glowy and different, and because the of choreography setting. is very, yeah, prequely. The setting. We need to take a second to talk about the setting before I dive into this next bit. <laughs> Fairy tale vibes. Love it. It's just great. Love it. It's mystery. We're in the dark it's spooky. forest. <laughs> but also it's reminding me of Kylo Ren and Rey in the mm-hmm. forest. It is reminding me of fairy tales. It is celestial. It's yeah, falling into the water cool. over a cliff. It is, I don't know. I f- thought the entire ther- thing was ethereal and really just beautiful. It was mm-hmm. just, I really liked the settings and I really liked the reinforcement of like the fairy tale nature of it especially with the masked guy in Merrick. And I, there's been so much that has been talked about with Merrick, Maroc, whatever. I literally don't care about this character at all. And I know Caitlin doesn't either. So we're like not spending any time on it. But I do think it's interesting in the fact that, first off, he disintegrated into dust. I love it because it's like magic-y. He just all of a sudden disappeared in this enchanted forest. It's so cool to me. I really like that that was the choice that was made and that it came from Ahsoka and her like samurai-ish powers of seeing through the like spinny lightsaber. I love it. Anyway, <laughs> I think it is so purposeful story-wise and archetypal-wise that Ahsoka in these two duels is up against Maroc, 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 whatever, and Sabine is up against Shin. I think Ahsoka is up against... Maroc because I feel like Ahsoka is searching for something deep within herself. Like I think when we look at every fight in Star Wars, usually it says something about both of the characters and like where they are in their emotional journey, especially in the movies, less so in the television shows, just because it feels like we're moving from point A to point B so often, less less than like a two hour, 15 minute movie. Anyway, I think Ahsoka and Maroc 
what is happening there is Ahsoka's. I feel like Maroc, in the way that he died, he represents like a shadowy mystery that Ahsoka is chasing. Like we don't know why she's doing what she's doing. We don't know mm-hmm. why she feels so strongly about Thrawn. We don't know where Thrawn even is. We don't know what another galaxy in Star Wars looks like. It's shrouded in mystery and it is, I think, a plaguing Ahsoka in a lot of ways. I do feel like this duel and the way that it ended, they're paired for a reason. And then I also think that Shin and Sabine being paired in this duel, I think also that Sabine and Shin are constantly paired together. I do ship it, I have to say, but Mm -hmm. I think that Shin represents an apprentice relationship that Sabine is chasing and wants out of Ahsoka. And the fact that Ahsoka, what she gets out, what Ahsoka gets out of the duel with Maroc is understanding that this is a shadowy thing that she's chasing and it just literally crumbles into dust. It makes me wonder. It's like sort of foreshadowing what happens at the end of this episode. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then Sabine fighting with Shin, a lot is learned from between both of them, right? Like Shin understands suddenly that, that Sabine has no power in the force, that she's like barely a Jedi. I bet she knew that before, but it was very much confirmed. And I think that they are similar in the way that they're both apprentice apprentices, but um, it's kind of clear to me that Balin and Shin's apprentice relationship is stronger than Ahsoka and Sabine's, which is like constantly on the rocks <laughs> and there's not that much trust going between it. So whenever there's duels, I just want to say it again, it, they often represent more about the characters than are what's on the surface. And I've talked about this too many times at this point, but Balin and the whole what Balin represents to Ahsoka's life is also interesting because when Balin and Ahsoka then duel, then you're also thinking about how Balin, especially when he's straight up talking about Anakin and bringing up Ahsoka's past, it's easy to think about Balin as a master and a master to an apprentice as this like version of Anakin, as I've talked about before in other episodes. Um, I think that it's interesting that no wonder after she fights Balin, and loses and falls off the cliff, like the next face that she sees is Anakin. And this sort of link between these two characters archetypally and what what that character is pushing in Ahsoka, we've already seen this in Anakin before. Even when Balin like goes kind of crazy after Ahsoka force pushes Shin, which you've already commented was like a crazy move for Ahsoka. Um, it's kind of, we know that Balin would have, that, sorry we know that Anakin would have done the same for Ahsoka and we've seen it actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) several times in the Clone Wars that like the moment Ahsoka was hurt Anakin like freaks out and then pushes the enemy over the cliff it's happened before yeah we know it and even Anakin's line in Revenge of the Sith when Obi-Wan is crushed by in the fight with Grievous Dooku um his fate will be the same as ours yeah, so I can't not think about these archetypes and these master and apprentice relationships and how I really think that Balin represents Anakin or like a dark version of what Anakin could have been um, every time Balin and Ahsoka chat. And it, it make no mistake, like that's why the conversation between Balin and Ahsoka was so intriguing and revealing is because of the fact that Balin is preying on Ahsoka's insecurities and fitting into what we 
like are familiar with with the relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka or Vader and Ahsoka, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I it's interesting because Balin and Shin, it's still kind of a big question mark about who they are, where they come from, why is it exactly they want power. And I thought that to kind of, I guess, just pivot to the other side of Balin's conversation with Ahsoka, uh, you know, when he's talking about, you know, the only reason I'm here, he says, is to secure the future. And Ahsoka says, for you? And he says, no, something far greater. And she says, ambitious. And he responds back, necessary. And Ahsoka says, and you find starting another war necessary. And Balin says, I'm not starting another war, but Thrawn will. It is an unfortunate evil, but speaks to a greater truth. One must destroy in order to create. And then they start fighting. And I got to say, in the middle of that conversation, I almost thought that he was going to say something about how this power that he was after would restart the Jedi Order, that that was what he wanted, which I thought would be so interesting as kind of Again, further commentary on the Jedi and the order, the foundation of like a potential new order. And I I don't know, I could have, my head really ran (laughs) with that speculation. I I think that's almost pretty spot on. I'm going to be honest, because if Balin then is a parallel to Anakin who destroyed the Jedi order, why wouldn't Balin want to then create a sort of quasi new Jedi order yeah. because he doesn't even say he's a Sith. He says he's a fallen, like the title of the fallen Jedi refers to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it refers to Balin as um, among them. Right. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's a no, really no, good no. speculation. Yeah. He is a fallen Jedi, but then so is Ahsoka. And then I guess technically so is Sabine. And then so is Ezra. He's so is Anakin. Yeah. And so is Anakin. Um, it really reminded me of The Last Jedi and that that mm-hmm. title in general took on a lot of meaning and a lot of speculation and Fallen Jedi uh, was as well. Time to Fly felt like a fun one, kind of like Toil and Trouble, right? And then Fallen Jedi, it's like, okay, we're back to serious. <laughs> and Time to Fly. Yeah. Time to go. Time to fly. <laughs> anyway, Fallen Jedi. Yeah, fall- <laughs> Tone shift. <laughs> well, like Master and Apprentice was uh, like serious. It was kind of uh, like a, I, I say obvious, but I don't mean that negatively, like an obvious first kind of title, I think, for this show, given the setup. Toil and Trouble is fun. We, okay. Which I got to say, they did in the last episode, I was like, they're totally going to do the the two word titles, Master and Apprentice, Toil and Trouble, dun 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 dun, dun. And then they didn't. They absolutely did not. I saw time to fly and I was like, all right, okay. Constantly breaking expectations. Pattern broken. Does pattern mean nothing to you? Does poetry rhyme mean nothing to you? (laughs) Dave is like, it means everything to me, Caitlin. (laughs) He's like, what are you talking about? But not about episode titles. (laughs) He's like, get it together. He's like, toil and trouble was just fun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's time to fly. Okay, sorry. Now I've lost my train of thought. I think, I think we're ready to dive back in to, to the world between worlds. Do you? Okay, so the world between worlds. We're here. <laughs> we go. <laughs> okay. I can't uh, wait. No, no, no. Before we do this, I have to say, Sabine making the choice to go with Balin. I don't think I said my piece on that. Mm-hmm. I really do think that this like changed the course of the show for me in a lot of ways. And yeah, I was already on board, but I really like this. The fact that we're here where Ahsoka is 
in the world between worlds in a spiritual realm and Sabine is very much who knows where yeah and I think that she's with the enemy she's immediately regretting her decision and I cannot wait to see what happens with her next I think that the tension that was built was so great after spending a lot of time with Sabine as a character in Rebels, I have no doubt that like she's not going to turn to the enemy at all. No. So I can't wait to see how she gets out of this and how she uses it to her advantage because I know that she's regretting it and I know that she's thinking, how can I use this to my advantage now? Yeah, she's absolutely making a plan. But I was so excited to see that they actually made the jump in this episode. I was like, damn, Sabina, Sabina's on the other side. <laughs> I have to tell you, my parents were very confused about how that ring worked. They were like, you just go through it. And I'm like, no, there's no going through it. You don't, there's no, you're not in like a, it's not a portal. You, it's, it's a big jump thing. <laughs> and I think there's a, like a, it pointed out to me that there's a little bit of a flaw in that design. I really like the design, but it really does feel like you should be able to go through it, you know? <laughs> it's just like it just supercharges you. That's all it, it is. It just supercharges you, but it feels like even if you went through it, you'd also be traveling to hyperspace. But like you're not. Instead, it's just like kind of dead space, which I think is interesting. I, I comment on that because I think for like the people who aren't paying super close attention in mm-hmm. say Revenge of the Sith and seeing these hyper speed jump rings, they might have been more surprised over the fact that it jumped to hyperspace than you or I would have been. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Anyway, yeah. And I really liked the CGI and the effects that went into that jump. It, I really felt its magnitude. Yeah. I think I'll also say too, we didn't really touch on it, but Hera uh leaves the New Republic and goes after uh, Sabine and Ahsoka on her own, which I thought was great because that's what Ezra does pretty much all throughout season three of Rebels, which Charlotte and I just finished. So that felt kind of nice to me. But I thought it was really kind of brutal how we see some of the pilots uh, get killed once the Eye of Scion takes off through hyperspace. I was really worried about Carson Siva, but he, he lives another day. <laughs> He lives another he day lives to, to hang out with Din Djarin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I will say the only other thing I definitely thought was going to happen in this episode, especially once Hera took off and Carson was there and he was like, let's go Phoenix squadron leader. Um, I totally thought Zeb was going to show up. I was like, she she has yeah. to call Zeb, right? I thought right? so too. Where is he? I, this is the one where I need... <sighs> it's confusing That's because... Confusing. We already have him rendered. He exists <laughs> he's as already, a character. He's already rendered. This is, well, this is the thing that's so confusing to me. So we're halfway through the show. You're so right. Like, this would have been the spot for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Weird. I'm really ready to see Zeb back. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I hope he comes back. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that would have been a good spot because he chatted with Carson, right? Uh, exactly and they were in the same bar yeah, like it that just, was peter's episode peter ramsey's episode was when zeb showed up yes exactly so, so i i really thought whatever. but no it's fine it's, it's fine i'm just constantly on my toes which is great <laughs> <laughs> uh okay anyway world between world worlds, between worlds. okay we're i think here. before where we do you want to start i think we should revisit some of dave's quotes on world between worlds to go for it center us so I have a couple of long quotes. I hope that's okay. Uh, a couple of things Dave has said about World Between Worlds and also the Force. 
So this first quote is pulled from an interview Dave did with IGN uh, right after the Rebels finale aired. And this is that I didn't put in the question, but it was basically about the force or something like that. And Dave responded, well, the force is the most core important thing in Star Wars, the magic of it. And you have to be careful when you flesh it out because you don't want to rob from the magic of it by over explaining it. But I've had a lot of talks with George about it and what was important about the force. And I thought I had an opportunity to further some of those themes to really set them down so people have more examples of what George believed the force was about. It's selfless nature versus it's selfish nature about when you wield it, what the results of that can be, and how to relate to it on a personal level, on a personal human level. I got a little bit more into what I believe is the living force that we used to talk about and somewhat the force that's all around us, the force of nature. A lot of people focus on the light side and dark side through the Jedi or the Sith, which is those people taking the force and using it for their own will sometimes selfishly and sometimes selflessly, (laughs) but it's a little bit different. And understanding the idea that the Force exists apart from the Jedi and the Sith. Remember, this is 2018. Uh, They don't have sole dominion over it. And so I was bringing some of those ideas a little bit further out into the open that we had dealt with with George on the Mortis trilogy and then the Yoda arc in Clone Wars. So it was really fun and people seemed to really like the ideas and like the stories that we told. And that, again, I credit back to the source material and the fundamental ideas that George set down. Um, Again, this is 2018, so like the Bendu, uh, Guardian of the Wills, Luke's whole speech about the Jedi in The Last Jedi. These are the kind of things that are starting to circulate a lot more during this time. Okay, so then a couple of quotes from The World Between Worlds. I don't know what this quote is pulled from. It's very clearly a sit-down interview with Dave, but I couldn't tell you where it came from because it was just like one clip of this quote about The World Between Worlds. So he said, the world between worlds, it's not about time travel. It's just about a place where everything comes together and you hear different things echoing throughout time because it's all fluid in that moment, in that place. It's not this material thing that's linear. Everything is occurring all the time. Ezra is more attuned to the things that are more related to him, like Kanan or Ahsoka. These things reverberate to him and he understands them more. The other voices he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know those people. They're just like the wind moving. He recognizes some like Yoda or Obi-Wan, but he doesn't recognize the context. I don't know how real it actually is. I don't want to define that for people anyway. It's not this place of gateways or doors. Now Ezra can pull Ahsoka into that world, but remember she's smart enough to know that she can't leave that world through the door, through his door, or she'll be destroying the natural order of things. It's the same with Kanan. When you understand that, he's... He's going to put him, Ezra's going to put him back in a world where everyone is dead. And then, you know, Ezra couldn't even be in that world anyway. Everything will break. It'll cause chaos and destruction. So it's not this system of doorways like you're on an elevator getting off at different floors in different times. It's more like what the wolf tells Ezra. It's more about knowledge, knowledge that you can use for your benefit, for good or knowledge that will lead to destruction. But it's not my intention that it's this ability to walk through to someone else's world. So then the last uh, couple of quotes I have is from the Rebels Recon episode about the World Between Worlds episode of Rebels season four. This is the last little batch. I'm sorry. I've been like monologuing here a lot. I did want to include there was one quote from Pablo Hidalgo in the Rebels Recon that I thought was interesting where he said the thing about Mortis was the notion that the force could take you places. So the force is force basically is deeper and more powerful than anyone can ever imagine. And then this, I think, is like the best quote from Dave about the world between worlds and kind of, I think, like the crux of how he views it. 
So he said, I always have small goals. One of the things I wanted to do was find a way to tie together all the Star Wars films and animated series in one place so that people get this idea that it's all a connected thing, that they are not desperate, disparate from each other, that they are inclusive of each other. And I believe that Star Wars has this grandeur to it. I believe the Force has this infinite space to it. So I started seeding in season one of Rebels, this idea of a place where there are stars. When Ezra's in the Jedi Temple and he gets his lightsaber crystal, he's in that world between worlds. He just doesn't know it yet because he's too naive and he's not fully unlocked. The next time he's there with Yoda, and Yoda obviously knows about it because Yoda is talking to him through this in some kind of conveyance where they can both exist in this place, but they probably aren't very far from where they are physically. But it doesn't have anything to do with the physical. It has to do with kind of where they believe they are and where they are mentally. So finally, when he unlocks Ezra, all of the secrets, he can go into this place and have more of an awareness of what's actually going on. And this is where the full world has revealed to him. And then he knows that evil also wants it. Because things like that, that are too good to be true, evil always wants those things to destroy them and to use them for ill purposes. That was a lot. I'm sorry. But I thought it would be a good idea if we revisited uh, what Dave has, I think, kind of most famously said about the world between worlds. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. And I don't even really know where to start. Um, I'm really (laughs) glad that you read those quotes. I've seen them floating around the internet since this aired. And we've definitely... That was not the first time you've read those on the podcast, by the way. That is... We've definitely talked about this already. <laughs> no, but, it, but I couldn't find, because we keep all our notes on a Google Doc, I couldn't find where I typed out those quotes before. Mm. And I looked really hard. We definitely like, have, though. I, I know. know we have. I was like, I'm great. I'm going to have to retranscribe these paragraphs. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> Worth it. All right. So Ahsoka's in the world between worlds again. All right. And I think you are more dubious of what's happening in this situation than I am and I want to start off by saying that in a version of the sound mix I have heard Morai who is the convor slash owl hoot in the very beginning and because of that it automatically makes me trust the situation a little bit more however it's Revenge of the Sith Anakin that appears to Ahsoka. He is in some sort of transition, basically, of becoming Darth Vader, I would think. And it, it, it I am a slightly concerned as we are in <laughs> on this little, literal cliffhanger that this is all a trick. I don't think... Okay, so if we could talk about the world between worlds that we've seen in Rebels, what happened, Ezra got into the world between worlds, he figured out the void in order to help Ahsoka. We already saw in the, this is so confusing for people who've never seen this, but (laughs) in like two seasons before, Ahsoka fights Darth Vader and Darth Vader and Ahsoka have this duel. The entire location of this duel comes crumbling down and we think that Ahsoka could potentially have died, but in the very last shot, you see Ahsoka going through this triangular door, meaning she probably lived. And it was confusing for years about whether or not Ahsoka lived and to the point where it became like sort of a meme. And then by the end of the series of Rebels, Ezra is able to jump in to this point in time in which Ahsoka is fighting Vader and help her out. She goes back into that point in time and leaves through that triangular door in which we are familiar with from the episode before. So in this way, it confuses a lot of people in the fact that it is technically 
but not technically like it's freakishly close to time traveling, but it's not time traveling. It is sort of always destined. This is always Ahsoka's way out. She was always going to survive this, right? So it gets kind of confusing in terms of like, okay, there's a passage and the force can manifest its way into a location, which is part of the quote in which you read. Um, Dave seeding in different celestial places that the force can manifest and bring Ezra to. And the same thing happens for Ahsoka here. I think the force is manifesting in that Ahsoka fell off a cliff, potentially died. I don't know. She's in a bad place and the force has manifested and given her shelter, I get, I suppose, in this world between worlds that we are familiar with from its look. The thing that's confusing, I have to say, is that from the quotes that you read, my perspective of the world between worlds and something I have held for years is that it can manifest in different ways. And I think that that's true. Dave has said that. Um, so I'm surprised to see it looking like what we're familiar with versus a whole separate other weird force thing. Mm -hmm. This is something that like the location and the like aspects of it are something that like are very much copied straight from animation. I'm totally fine with that because I think it's interesting, but I'm curious to see in episode five when we dive into this more, like what pieces of it are different than what we've seen in Rebels. I think they will be different. I also noticed on my like 45th rewatch of this end scene that um, behind Anakin is this like platform, like this rotunda basically the rotunda is not the right word cul-de-sac almost at the end of this road <laughs> um that they're standing on i feel like they're going to go to the end of that road and something is going to appear or something i don't know um so i am less dubious that it is a trick or something that anakin brought her to however it could be that given what you <laughs> read about Ezra bringing Ahsoka into it. Another aspect of this, before you dive into your thoughts, <laughs> are that years ago, after trial, Trials... Did I say Trials of the Darksaber? That's not did. Right that, that I always episode. mess it up. It's Twilight of the Apprentice. Twilight of the Apprentice. Okay, so when I talked about the episode in which Ahsoka fights Darth Vader, that is Twilight of the Apprentice, not Trials of the Dark Saber. Trials of the Dark Saber is also an amazing episode, but not 4C at all. <laughs> anyway, Twilight of the Apprentice is the episode in which she fights Darth Vader. And after this episode aired, Dave Filoni partnered with Topps Trading Cards and came out with 10 unbelievably gorgeous black and red and white um, trading cards that depict these scenarios of Ahsoka that were like undefined. <laughs> he said very little about what these were. Eventually, most of them make sense by the time we get to the World Between Worlds episodes of Rebels. And we see that these are manifestations of or like concept pieces of what the World Between Worlds represented for Ahsoka's journey. And I sort of left it at that. And I think you did too. We were sort of like, okay, they're just concept pieces. And like by the time he got to writing uh, World Between Worlds with Ezra and Ahsoka's journey, like not all of these concepts could be used because it's mostly Ezra's story. Okay, I, I've changed my tune with that because there are two of these trading cards that I highly recommend you look up in which Ahsoka is in water. 
and wading through water, which immediately like piques the interest at three, actually, technically, because there's one in which Ahsoka is submerged in water, like half of her body is submerged in water. Another in which she is emerging from water, walking up a set of staircases. And then another in which she's wading through the water down a long hallway with Morai, the convoy slash owl, um, guiding her, her. So when I hear in the sound mix, Morai, which Caitlin didn't hear, but I swear to God, I heard it. Um, I'm like, okay, here we are. We're going to get these next three trading cards. We're going to see her wade through the water. The water was a big clue and interesting to me because as I say on this podcast, every time I it sort of feels like every time when we see water it represents so many things cleansing rebirth renewal baptism and what does that mean for Ahsoka's character in which she starts off in a watery celestial plane I think we are getting just that in some form and I can I think that by next episode I'll be able to analyze that more but it definitely like alarm bells were going off where it was like she is being reborn she already had her her rebirth basically through the world between worlds in Rebels, but this feels a little different because it feels way more personal than her relationship with Ezra, which as we've established in this particular show, maybe is not as great <laughs> as her relationship <laughs> with Anakin Skywalker. So intrigued. Okay. All that said, Kaylin, what are your thoughts? Give give them to me. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, well, I I do think it's funny. Anytime Charlotte sees a wave in, in Star Wars, it's like the baptism. The baptism is coming. Baptism. It's coming. Baptism. It's, here. it's just like, it's deep within me as an English major <laughs> to like these alarm bells just go off. And that's like the most fundamental thing. It's like, right. that's day one. That's English 101 that they teach you. And <laughs> It's also in the hero's journey. I don't know. It, it feels like... No, very... I just love that there are the things that each of us routinely bring up and the baptism, yeah. water cleansing is yours. So, Did you think about it when you saw it? Yeah, I did, of course. Yeah, classic. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to comment, though, on your point about, you know, we you talked a lot about how World Between Worlds, when we were speculating about it appearing in The Rise of Skywalker, we talked a lot about how it would probably look different than what we saw in in the Rebels series. And so to your point about being surprised that it kind of, it's the exact same. I want to take us back to our conversation we had about parts one and two about the Narnia of it all and mm -hmm. the wood between mm -hmm. the woods. But that spot always looks the same. But what Aslan says to the kids about Narnia is that they'll never enter Narnia the same way twice. And I would say that maybe that's what we're supposed to pull because Ahsoka did not go through the temple and she was not pulled in as far as we know. She could very well have been pulled in by Anakin or someone else. But what we know now, presumably, like you said, the force kind of manifested her there or this mystical ocean, which this feels like it's definitely a mystical place if this is where the purgles are and if this is where they're able to you know, calculate the hyperspace route to the neighboring galaxy. There's obviously a lot of force energy in this place, I think. So I don't know. I was thinking about that where you were talking about it. I was like, oh, well, Aslan said you can't enter Narnia the same the same way twice. And it's true. I think maybe that's what we're seeing now, um, at least from what we know thus far. Before you go on, I really need to talk. I need to talk about this. I need okay. to get this off my chest okay. because it has more to do with the baptism and I just forgot to bring it up. Okay, go. We referenced in the last discussion that we had about Ahsoka that Ahsoka it was interesting that 
in the thing that they paralleled with the end of Rebels, Ahsoka is in the white robes, which is so often referred to as Ahsoka the White, which is a reference to Lord of the Rings, in which Gandalf comes back from the dead in white robes. And that happens, and there's like an afterlife rebirth situation that happens with Gandalf. And that sort of goes with my rebirth baptism coming back situation that I was just referring to. And I think when you talk about Narnia, we also have to bring in Lord of the Rings. You just have to. They're they're best friends. They're BFFs um, because that's Dave Filoni's like bread and butter. And I think in our conversation previously, we were like, why doesn't Ahsoka have the white robes? And we sort of theorized that she wasn't there yet in terms of her character development, not necessarily like representative in, I don't, I don't know. She just, we, we theorized that actually you theorized that she wasn't there character wise and we need, she needs to get there. She needs to have that moment. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just needed to, needed to get that off my chest. No, I'm glad you did. And this is her working there. Yes. Working to become Ahsoka the White, in which she comes back stronger, more renewed, reborn. We love to see it. A little bit of sinister. Well, it could be like, it could be a little bit more sinister, but I do think that when she comes out of it, she will come out of it with knowledge and um, an understanding of past events, perhaps, or events that are going to come in the future that she didn't have before. And I think that is her Ahsoka the White journey and her rebirth because the Ahsoka that we, as we spent an hour and a half talking about, the Ahsoka that we have in this particular series is someone who is changed, who is not snippy, who needs to regain some sense of life within her. And that's like a harsh way to say that, but I think that she needs to have an awakening. And this is this is happening. This is her awakening. Yeah, I think whether or not this is a trick or there's something sinister to it, that is what Ahsoka will come away mm-hmm. with it as either way. I will say, number one, I did not hear Morai, and I listened for her a lot. <laughs> I didn't hear her. I believe that you heard her, and I, I'm ready to see Morai. I did not hear her. I will say, I think that there's a part of me that's a sus of this Anakin. As we pointed out, he is Revenge of the Sith Anakin, and people have pointed out that he has Darth Vader's lightsaber. Um, and also, we hear the Vader music at the end, and like the very last notes of the mix, it's like the Vader theme or the Imperial March in the major chord. So it sounds like it's like a little mysterious, but it's also it's off. It's positive, I would say. Like it skews positive. But then right when the credits roll, it's classic Vader evil. Uh oh. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. I just <laughs> I'm a little stressed. <laughs> The world between worlds also I didn't mention in my like small little recap. Palpatine was tempting Ezra through it, so he wasn't it's not... tempting him. He was trying to kidnap him. Exactly through the world between worlds. Uh, it, so it can be used sort of sinisterly. Yeah, and that's sort of what, sinisterly. And that's what Dave says in that one um, in a couple of those quotes. He said, uh, "You know, it's more about knowledge, knowledge that can be used for your benefit, for good, or knowledge that will lead to." In- destruction and then he also says things like that that are too good to be true evil always wants those things to destroy them and to use them for ill purposes i don't think that necessarily has to be the case here and in fact i would say i don't really want it to be the case because i want 
Anakin to actually come and talk to Ahsoka <laughs> through the Force, through weird Force stuff, and be like, hey, I'm okay. I love you. Everything's good. Be happy. You have my blessing. <laughs> like, I want that to all happen. <laughs> Wait, can you imagine if we get a Padme mention? <laughs> oh, wow. We could. This is the show in which we get a Padme I don't, mention. I'm going to be honest. I don't think this is the show for the Padme pro- mention. <laughs> I just have lost all hope. So I don't yeah, believe it. You know, it <laughs> ever didn't happen in Obi-Wan. And that is where... They could they could have done it. Okay. <laughs> the reason why I bring that up is that this is Revenge of the Sith Anakin. Yeah. And in the midst of this, the he has like one thing on his mind, and it's yeah. Padme and saving Padme. But so, if this is also the last, if it's supposed to be representative of the last time Ahsoka saw Anakin, this would still be his same look because he sees her on whatever that ship is before he goes to save Dooku oh or gosh. Palpatine. So this mm-hmm. is still the same last time that. Ahsoka saw Anakin before he turned. Yeah, I will say, I just have to say, I think Anakin looks a little too smooth. The de-aging, a little too much for me on this Anakin. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. But I just had to It didn't bother me at all. I didn't even think about it. I did. He just, he doesn't have any under eye bags. Like none at all. He's not tired. Not which you know he this Anakin's exhausted. Anakin is so So. (laughs) okay. I'm I'm chalking this up to the stylistic choice of it being like a spiritual realm. I'm saying it's a little bit too much de aging. So okay, it's it's a fair opinion. Yeah, but that being said, I again we talked about this in the last episode when we talked about Hayden Christensen's. TV spot as Anakin talking about Ahsoka and the, the way that Matt Lantner has uh, presented Anakin. Hayden Christensen has clearly studied that and it just, it matches so well. <laughs> and so to hear Hayden again saying, hello, Snips, I didn't expect to see you so soon. <sighs> Knock me over dead, quite literally. I have no idea what's going to happen next, not within the world between worlds. I do kind of think next episode we're going to see Ezra. Uh, I speculated this in our first uh, discussion on the Ahsoka show that we would see, or I guess I I shouldn't say speculated. I hoped that we would see Ezra before the end, like before episode eight, right? And I do kind of think we'll see him next week. At least I hope so. Uh, I think that would make a lot of sense for both Sabine and Ahsoka to kind of like all of Ahsoka's trauma, I would say is wrapped up in Anakin and the Jedi, both in her leaving the Jedi order, even knowing that Anakin was with Padme and keeping that to herself for as long as she did, but then also eventually finding out what happened to Anakin and who he became and having to deal with that. All of her trauma is wrapped up in that. So coming to terms meeting Anakin, whether he is a trick or real, I think will still be important to her moving on and confronting her past, right? And I think for Sabine, it's kind of the same. It's not that all of her trauma is wrapped up in Ezra, but that is a very big nexus point in the story of her life, of Sabine's. And so I think whatever happens for her to follow it all the way through to Ezra will allow her to go on the next part of her character development and for her character journey. And this is also true for Ahsoka when it comes to Anakin. So I think regardless if it's a trick or if it's real, that, like you said, she's going to come out of it very different. Um, I 
yeah, I'm, I'm just a little sus of it. I'm just a little sus. Uh, the, it's really the Vader music that got me. I'm like, why would they put yeah. that there? The, the point is to be sus of it. Like, yeah. it's it's confusing. Palpatine was so sinister in the world between worlds, and he's still out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's still out mm-hmm. there in this time period now that we know. So I think this could go a lot of different ways. But I will say that if... Palpatine is not still out there. I mean... Someone... His clones are beginning okay. to be out there. Okay. I just... I needed to say that. Okay. Because though we don't get full Palpatine as we know him until whatever cloning and dark magic works in The Rise of Skywalker. Like, that's the first time that we get him really fully back. It he was could a lot of failed world, Snokes world, before. Though. Yeah, exactly. You're so right about that. He could exist within the world between worlds. If this is a trick, uh, if this is the dark side of the force somehow, um, or even like, right, even if it is all a hallucination for Ahsoka in this world where she sees, she has a conversation with, you know, light side Anakin, but then also dark side Anakin, almost similar to Kylo at the end when he, during his redemption scene, when he has a conversation with Han Solo that he kind of redoes that that could very well happen too, where she reimagines what she could have done differently with Anakin. Uh, you know, when she sees him for the last time in the Clone Wars or even in Twilight of the Apprentice. And and like Dave said, I don't know how real it actually is. <laughs> but if it if it turns out to be fully evil and not a hallucination from Ahsoka, then I think that after she exits the world between worlds, there is still opportunity for actual Anakin to visit her as a force ghost still. And for her to realize that, oh, this is the real Anakin what I experienced in the world between worlds was not. So I actually, I kind of like that speculation though, that she has a chance to redo because everyone keeps talking about how she abandoned Anakin herself as well. So in the world between worlds for her to get a redo, very much like how Kylo gets a redo with Han Solo. Um, on what would that look star. like to you? I don't know. I don't know what it would look like, honestly. Like what would she say? Uh, or maybe it's just her kind of spewing out her emotions to him. Like, I wish I would have told you not to go. I wish I would have, you know, said something sooner about what I knew with you and Padme or something like that. Or how does the fact that she knows who Luke is fit into this or the fact yeah, exactly. that Anakin is dead now? Like, what does she know? Yeah. I think we're about to be like brought up to speed about that. Yeah. But if it's a hallucination, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But then I also we were talking about this via text too. If it is if it is real, if or rather that's actually foresee Anakin coming to her from the netherworld, right? Um that we could have a different version of the conversation Obi-Wan and Anakin have in the last episode of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. If that makes sense. There's a lot of names I'm throwing out there. <laughs> but <laughs> there's a lot of Star Wars these days. It's a lot. A lot of Star Wars I, and all even, these shows are even talking character names. Yeah. <laughs> even talking through these with like all the different title names and everything. It's just like so much. Yeah. I it's, it's a lot. But if you if you remember the last episode of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show where Anakin or Vader and Obi-Wan have that duel on that planet with all the rocks and stuff like that, that showdown is a direct parallel of Twilight of the Apprentice from Rebels in a huge, huge way. And we talked about it in our discussion at the time, talking about why they would so directly parallel those two moments. 
and for a lot of reasons, right? Like those are two of the most important people in Anakin's lives, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. But Anakin and Obi-Wan have a conversation in that where Obi-Wan says, I'm sorry. I don't have it pulled up in front of me. He says, I'm sorry. And Anakin says that, you know, wonderfully heartbreaking line of you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. Um, And he also says something like, I killed Anakin. This is what remains or something like that. And so I kind of wonder if now we'll see a reflection of that scene and that dialogue with Anakin and Ahsoka here in the world between worlds. I also think that could be a possibility too, to continue to parallel these two major relationships that Anakin had, you know, during his time as a Jedi. I don't think we're going to see that. I I would be glad to, but I feel like we already had that conversation in Rebels. And that was satisfying. He didn't say it the same way though, that he said it. No, he he didn't. I just think it's going to be a different scenario. I think I think you're ultimately right, but I think it's worth talking about just because they're yeah. so directly paralleled. The fact that Obi-Wan walked away with growth, I think is mm-hmm. what we're going to is going to be the yeah. ultimate parallel with Ahsoka here. Yeah. What could ult- Okay. I just I want to the show, when this comes out, will already be out. So it's so silly. So bummed. <laughs> when, how could Ahsoka be tested to her? Like, what would be the hardest thing for her to hear using Ryan Johnson's language here? Oh, I know. What would be the hardest thing for her to hear in this scenario? That in the it world was her was, fault. That it was her fault. If she sees a version of the galaxy where she didn't leave. And Anakin doesn't turn or she is able to interfere. That would be the hardest thing for her to hear. That would be so insane. (laughs) Like if this is a trick, if this is a trick Anakin and he's like, look, look at what like you abandoned. He says that to her in Twilight of the Apprentice, Mm -hmm. right? Like you Mm -hmm. abandoned me. You left me. And if this trick Anakin shows her a portal, shows her a world where that didn't happen instead of look what I've become, it's look what I could have been and because of you you, what I could have become yeah because of you like as in you know stayed on the light side and because of you I didn't um yeah that would absolutely be the hardest thing but I gotta say while we were talking about this and kind of like Obi-Wan and and Ahsoka I think it's really cool these days that right everything has always been about the Skywalker family right and and especially with Anakin how Ahsoka is a foil to Anakin how Obi-Wan is a foil to Anakin how they all all of the stories of the prequels are kind of driving to Anakin's fall and how all the pieces fall into place. Right. But, and he's the main character and everyone kind of revolves around him. But now in these shows, like when Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, we get to see kind of the opposite of that, where it's really about Anakin's impact on them as more or less a supporting character in their stories and in their character development and seeing all the after effects of that um, and of their relationships. I just think that's that's a cool kind of flip these days now that we have all these, you know, character shows. Yeah. Like as when George Lucas and Dave Filoni were starting the Clone Wars and they were like, we're going to have Anakin's going to have a Padawan. I don't think they ever really thought that Anakin's Padawan would have such a complex story 15 years later. Or that character would then become the main character of the Clone Wars. Like, I still think that from that infancy, as much as they introduced that young character, I think that they still thought Anakin and Obi-Wan, were, the show was going to revolve around them. And it kind of did. But the way that you 
posed it is like now we that this quote unquote secondary characters like Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are now their Maybe. perspectives are the most important. Yeah. And, and how Anakin I, affects them rather than yes, the other way around. Exactly. And I think I am so with you with that it would be the hardest thing for her to know or to see that she could have changed something. Like what if her information that she discovered through Darth Maul at the end of Siege of Mandalore could have affected it somehow is she going to get a chance to change things and then move doesn't is that also really hard I think that would be kind of weird for them to like basically show the movie and like her just walking (laughs) away I think that would be weird you know (laughs) but I I think that the version of the events in which she could have affected his life and didn't I think would be so interesting because then I think it would go back to her relationship with Sabine and how she also let that relationship down. And that's how it sort of rounds out in this full story. Because every time I think about this and I think about the introduction of Anakin into the story, I'm like, okay, it's just the whole thing that J.J. Abrams was always talking about with The Force Awakens, about like the moment you bring Luke in, the story all becomes about Luke. And guess what? That happened. Yeah. And... I still think that the moment you bring Anakin into the story, it becomes about the relationship between Ahsoka and Anakin. And so how do we show that, but also move beyond that? And how do we make it have a bigger impact to her relationship with Sabine? I think that's what matters the most in the story of what Mm -hmm. we're telling in the series of Ahsoka. That wasn't the case, obviously, in other iterations of the story. And I also think that in Twilight of the Apprentice in Rebels, like that story and that fight between Ahsoka and, and Vader happened, but around it, what was happening was Ezra be, was being tested, Kanan was being tested, their relationship was being tested, and it took an entire season for that to even like for people to deal with that, uh, those effects from that. It wasn't just Ahsoka's like folly and issues that that entire episode was about. It had greater meaning and really pushed Ezra, Ezra in his journey to become a Jedi and his relationships. And that's like the story of the show, you know? (laughs) And I think that we have to keep that in mind when we think about the story of Ahsoka, the character here and in Ahsoka, the show. Well, even of her just getting guidance from Anakin that she can, she can be attached to Sabine. Like Anakin's, Anakin's folly, Anakin's fault was not that he cared about Ahsoka or Padme. That was not what led to it. I mean, it did, but he still wasn't wrong. That was exploited of him. And mm-hmm. he couldn't figure out the difference or how to balance his attachment. The selfish versus yeah, the exactly. selfless. Whereas Ahsoka has like gone so far to the other extreme. And he's like, it's okay. Like, you're not going to become me. It's okay. <laughs> like, if you become attached to being the way that I was attached to you, it's going to be okay. Because like we saw that time and time again of when Ahsoka would get into sticky situations and Anakin would drop everything to go and save her. Um, and I I forget what episode it is. It might be Holocron Heist when she's captured by Cad Bane in like season two when she's like, you. it doesn't matter what you do. Like my master will never abandon me. Like she's so certain of that and she's so right too. And I think Cabin is like, yeah, I'm counting on it. <laughs> and Anakin goes to great lengths. And even the Geonosis arc, when he refuses to like leave Ahsoka abandoned. And when she's captured and headhunted in season three, he does everything he can to save her. Um, she ends up saving herself in that situation. But 
he never stopped looking for her. And, you know, if Ahsoka is, I, I, I don't know. I can see that conversation with them then being like, you know, if Ahsoka's ever worried that she would fall down the same path as Anakin and doesn't, and is now like trying not to be the kind of master he was as much as she, because what did that bring her heartache ultimately uh, for as much as mm-hmm. she loved him and was herself attached to him, it burned her in kind of the biggest way. Um, so yeah, I think that could be part of their conversation and, and to what you were saying about this, this can't, this can't just be about Anakin and Ahsoka. I think it, it, that will be the major part of it, honestly, because Ahsoka is the main character here. So her mm-hmm. confronting her past, like I said, Anakin's is the major trauma of her life. But yeah, I totally think that and that's yeah. perfectly fine. And I want that. I just think that it has to have a larger implication to the story overall. Yeah. So whatever she comes away with from Anakin will change her connection and communication with Sabine. You know, if they make it, because again, Sabine's in a different galaxy. <laughs> no, she's going to come out of this as Ahsoka the White. Yeah. It's happening. I okay. I also did think though that um, initially I was like, oh, where she's going to come out a different in, into the different galaxy from the world between worlds. But she might. She might, but I still don't think so. Kind of based off of these quotes from Dave, and granted, this was like five years ago, so you know, we don't have to like. These mm-hmm. aren't law for how the world between worlds works. But he says, you know, he does this whole thing of like, it's not time travel. Ahsoka can't leave through. a. D- she has to come back in the same door. She she has to leave the same door she came in. So right. but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right. If she comes out as Ahsoka the White, but she comes out the same door. Right. But now she has this new this new energy, this new power. And you know what that means? She is absolutely going to ride a pergle. To the new galaxy. Exactly. That's literally exactly what I was going to say. So let's go. Caitlin, do you remember, do you remember my like delusion around (laughs) um, the end of Rebels when we have Wolves in the Door as an episode, then World Between Worlds, and then the two episodes of the finale of Rebels in which in that finale, Ezra comes out of the world between worlds renewed, understanding his purpose, his greater purpose, and uses the Purgles to go to Withdrawn and saves everyone, saves Lothal. And I remember being like on this very podcast, being like, we couldn't have had that ending if we didn't have the two episodes before. And you were like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and I don't. I thought that they were related. Like I thought that the weird forciness of the Purgles and the Purgles being able to go to like a totally different place and him being able to like understand that like the force is greater than him. So he has a larger understanding of everything based off of his experience in the world between worlds allows him to use the Purgles and the Purgles to like help. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, yeah. Overall. He can, and that was my thought process, but I feel like it was never. Purgles, basically. Yes. Like it was like unlocking like a different like part of the cosmic force and the living force both together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he couldn't have done that if he didn't have the experience of the world between worlds. But like, I don't think other people are on the same page about that, but I still feel like that. And I feel like that here because if she does emerge out of the world between worlds and uses the purgles to go find Ezra, that's exactly the same thing. The world between worlds <laughs> we is like the hyperspace brain. It supercharges you on the force. Yeah. Totally. You come out of it completely renewed. They're both like rings. They're both rings. They call it a snow globe. They say it's like walking around in a snow globe, how the animators talked about it. It is circular and globular in a lot of ways. 
So I don't know, maybe I'll repeat that again, but I remember being like, oh, like maybe they're not related, but in my head they were related. (laughs) No, I remember you talking about this actually. And I feel like I wasn't tracking with what you were really getting at at the time. Yeah. And what's funny about it is I remember being like, maybe I am not tracking, but okay. Just like I had the experience after World Between Worlds with the hands are language and everything. Guys, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't mention this. When she touches the, um, when Ahsoka touches the globe of the map and it burns her hand. First off, that's like totally a Raiders of the Lost Ark red, red herring. You're supposed to think like, mm-hmm. oh, she has a map on her hand. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, she's okay? wearing gloves. I just don't. So. She's wearing gloves. Like, it's just not going to happen. But I'm like, the Skywalker curse of hurting your hand is happening. Yeah. And then the what happens 10 minutes later? She meets Anakin Skywalker. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> the hands are a language. It was quite literally my first thought. <laughs> every time. Okay. At every point you've made this episode, you're like, and then she met Anakin Skywalker. Mike. I'm just like the the next moment she met Anakin Skywalker. It's all connected. I think not. The, my brain, when we watch Worlds in the Door and World Between Worlds, I've never operated on a level. You know how you only access what like twenty percent of your brain. <laughs> I felt like I was accessing hundred percent that one night. Oh yeah, and totally. I felt like that after this, in which I was like making all these Lord of the Rings parallels and like googling things on like Lord of the Wings wiki sending you like the fact that Morai looks like more the other the city like Moriah and things like that and how that's connected and how Ahsoka's gonna come out as uh as Gandalf as Gandalf the way like this is the vibe and everything's crazy we're on different levels Dave is operating on a Tolkien level and we just need to get on the level it's just I was like I was manic again <laughs> once again you really were and literally every text she sent me all I could respond back was hello snips Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's the only thing my brain is saying right now. <laughs> and I don't even think I scratched the surface in this very podcast episode of the brain dump that was happening, which was incoherent, I have to say. But um, there's something that happens in a Dave Filoni written episode that has to do with the force that just unlocks something within me in which is the most fun. <laughs> kind of and I appreciate it so much. Truly weird force stuff kind of vibe you know it's so fun to devolve into delusion you know when you're talking about this kind of stuff because then obviously how do we not bring this up the next leap is ben solo is totally coming back oh yeah it's happening it's already established in live action they've already rendered it it's happening anakin's in it guess what his grandson can also be in it it's fine thing they see his grandson Leia totally faded away to co- to go into the world between worlds to save her the sun and like she saved her energy and that's that's what we're dealing with that's what Dave Filoni is establishing he knows he knows how important it is it's happening and like this is the level of delusion I'm operating on and I love it okay <laughs> I don't need anyone to tell me I'm wrong anything can happen it's fiction and it is crazy. <laughs> Ben Solo's coming back and no, he, the world ben between Solo's, worlds is real. The, seeing the Raylos who aren't who aren't in the Star Wars world anymore reawakening now that the world between worlds is in live action was honestly incredible. Uh, it's great. And I think that 
it all matches up because what's weirder in the weird force stuff than a dyad and the force connection across the galaxy? I mean, it, it just is all related. And guess what? You know what? Maybe Ahsoka and Anakin are also having a force connection across the galaxy. We don't even know because Anakin's dead. So what's happening here is another plane of existence. And the we're going to find plane. out what happens. We're truly in the astral plane, the astral plane. which is fully what we thought was going to happen in The Rise of Skywalker. And it didn't. But it sort of did. But it, it, it didn't. It kind of did, the but... Ben Solo ben benefit. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I, I feel like I'm getting a headache from talking so fast. <laughs> <laughs> you did go kind of like a mile a minute. <laughs> <sighs> There's something... Again, it's all... Of, the hands are our language. The accessing 100% of my brain... Is like activating like sports mode, Charlotte, you know? Sicko mode. Sicko sicko mode. It is sicko mode. It's me going sicko mode. I can't help it, but it brings me so much joy. So thank you for listening. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in so much, (laughs) especially now because so many people are listening to this and they know what's happened. So they're like, oh, that's cute past Charlotte and Caitlin. Maybe you should both you know down these your brains this next time. <laughs> this brain dump situation that's happening can just be tabled for another Star Wars story. You know they're mm-hmm. just constant at this point. So yeah, feel free to use these ideas. Any of this film people listening, I won't sue you for stealing them. It's totally fine. It's your IP. Go for it. Um, <laughs> you know how in the days of old fanfiction.net when you would be like. Everything belongs to George, George Lucas. Lucas. Yeah, thank you to George Lucas. Like that's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so like thank you, Dave Filoni, for letting me play in the galaxy. That's how it feels to be in my brain right now. Okay, I gotta stop talking. This is unreal. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> while you were monologuing on acid, I pulled up <laughs> our Star Wars, our World Between Worlds notes from when we covered that episode on the podcast way back in 2018, and it's. It's literally just in all caps and it's crazy to think that some of this stuff is all coming back. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just kind of wild to me. Remember when I stayed up all night transcribing it? Yeah. And put like all, all the, the quotes that you hear in the world yeah. between worlds on our website. And it was like one of our most visited mm-hmm. pieces ever. Like I think we might have been the first people. I think you um, were to do that. To put yeah. Them out there. Okay, but to hit hit the interwebs. Yeah, we do. Let's see. So we wrote about how Ahsoka's brought back. To what end? Ezra couldn't save his master. What is the reasoning? This is in all caps. Parallel. It's a parallel. <laughs> Ahsoka to what? <laughs> to what? <laughs> Ahsoka couldn't save hers. And Ezra can't save his. And then we said, like, Kylo and Rey. <laughs> There's a thin line that separates them. Both are without masters they cared for deeply. Um, we talked about hands are a language to Hera's hand. Oh, oh, wow. I forgot about that. When Hera feels Kanan's ghost and she puts her hand on her shoulder. Do you remember Hands that? are a language. Oh, yeah. God, God, God. Uh, and then we talked about, again, the, the evilness of it and uh, the emperor wanting a portal to the living and the dead. And then we did say maybe he gains access to a portal in the future. And maybe next week Palpatine will find out Ezra accessed the portal. I don't know. 
Anyway, sorry. I just I was like, I gotta bring this. I gotta look through these and see if there are any <laughs> gems inside of manic notes. In these manic notes, they really are manic. Um, there are only a few times in our like it's rare to be honest that we do the manic notes. Um, it's like once a TV season, maybe, but like maybe not even. You know. Anyway. Yeah. Good times. We did Good have t- a question at the end of here that said, should we be worried about the implications of the world between worlds? No. Absolutely no. not. <laughs> Shut up, past Caitlin and Charlotte. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you I know. It. I remember like immediately people being like, we're introducing time travel into Star Wars. That's crazy. And yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else? I feel like we've talked about a lot, but not talked about enough. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about with these two parts? I don't think so. How much am I enjoying the show? I can't even tell you the show. I'm like, it's my like girl's hour, you know? <laughs> I love it. Girl's and, girl hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, I girl's feel hours. like... Yeah, there's so much we could say, but I think we need to table the speculation for now and wait until next week, which is going to be insane. Insane. It's gonna be so a, I can't wait. It's going to be yeah. a juicy. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, especially if you already know how all of this <laughs> ends up and you made it to the end of this speculation episode. That is very... Uh, that's very kind of you. Let's be real. That's a lot to go through our our manic notes and manic speculation here uh, when you already know how it ends. So thank you so much. <laughs> we really appreciate it. If you want to tell us what your crazy speculation was before you knew how it ended, you can find us on Twitter at SkyDockersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, our Instagram, TikTok, Threads. Uh, our YouTube channel, uh, all of those are good places to find us. And if you have a minute to share in real time that you're listening to the show, you can screenshot it, tag us, share it on your platform, social media platform of choice, and we will repost, reshare, all that good stuff wherever it is that you uh, want to share it. It helps other people. It's like a word of mouth for the podcast. And if you have a couple seconds and would like to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. And if you're interested in more ways to support us and how to get involved in our excellent, excellent Discord channel, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Joey Jackson, Lauren Matza, Kelly, Susanna, Cherie, Diana, Sarah, Katie, Z, Sam, Bailey, Suara, Thomas, Derek, Fifi, Suki, Stewart, Shelby, Kyle, John, Jacqueline, Debo, John, Bridget, Daniel, Allie, Aaron, Travis, and Aliyah. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.